Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Brad, for the effort that you've made. Thank you, worship team. Thanks, Sharon, for sharing with us and the rest of the worship team. Brad is, you know, doing double kind of duty, extra sort of duty. He's uh, been dealing with some issues, health issues himself. And several of our folks have. Eric is out today because he's quarantined. They got it at, at camp, at uh, preteen camp, and then at, at youth camp. And so we've tried to take good measures. And I know a lot of folks maybe feel a little uncomfortable today being here because of that. But obviously you don't. Yeah, we, we, uh, we understand all of that, every perspective. But I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we're gathering in this place and worshiping together. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to take a little break from the whole story of reality and look at a, one of my favorite passages. I don't think I've ever preached on the full passage. I've used the verse a lot. But 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to look at verses 14 through 21. And we're looking at the subject of compelled. What does that mean? What compelled you to be in this place today? What grabbed you and gripped you and controlled you to the point where you every day get, in, get up out of bed? What motivates you in life? What is the desire of your heart? What's your purpose? What's your meaning? That's the big subject we're looking at today. And we're going to look at it specifically to how do we put that into practice. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 is defending himself all through the book of 2 Corinthians, his apostleship. The church at Corinth uh, gives him all kinds of grief, and Paul has gone through all sorts of things in his ministry to share the gospel. You know he's unjustly imprisoned. You know he's beaten and whipped, he's shipwrecked. He's gone through all sorts of things, and yet he keeps going and going and going. Why? I think about him and... Sometimes as a minister of the gospel, I'm just ashamed. All he went through and all I don't have to go through. I have hardly ever suffered for the sake of the gospel at all. And I wonder as you and I as American Christians, if we've ever suffered, if we've ever experienced any, any kind of difficulty because of, not because of our own sin or not because of our own choices or not because of of our own foolishness, but because of the gospel, because of the cause of Christ, because of the kingdom of God, have we ever had to go through anything? Well, Paul says, here's the reason why I do what I do. And I want you to understand this is what I want for my heart and for your heart. I want you to see that this is the reason you do what you do as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this together, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Holy Word? I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version. You may have the New Living Translation and the Black Bibles in front of you, but I'm, I'm reading in this version for a specific reason because it uses uh, the, the language, the word I want us to emphasize, compelled for, the love of Christ, verse 14, compels us controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. All. Therefore, all have died. And He died for all. That those who live 
might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Father, teach us from Your Word. Lord, show us how You want us to prepare for the mission You've given us this week with our people. Father, we ask that You'd show us what motivated Paul, what motivates us to live a life for You. And help us, Lord, help us see the world, all the world, like You do. To see people like you see people. And Lord, we want more than anything today to be involved with you in your work, your message, ministry of reconciliation. There are people all over this place, Lord, at different stages in their walk with you, at different weeks they've just had, different experiences that they've had in life. and. And yet, Lord, You've drawn us all to this place today to hear this Word, and we know it's not by accident. So, Lord, we ask that Your Spirit would fall down from heaven and that You would show us how we can be different because of this Word, because of what You want, because of our commitment to You, because of the change You've brought about, because of the sacrifice you made on our behalf. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at the motivation as we look at this together. I encourage you to keep that Bible open if you would. We're going to look at some various phrases here. But I, I want you to think about what motivates your life as a whole. The Apostle Paul says, here's what compels us. Or what compels Him? And I want it to compel us. It's the love of Christ. Is it Paul's love for Christ? Or Christ's love for Paul? I would say yes. 
It's both. The love of Christ is what motivates Him, and it's what I want to motivate all of us. Have you ever been so loved that you just changed? You did things differently. When I was going to, to Wayland, I had this little apartment uh, behind this lady's house. She's like 90 and I just had this one room behind her. Actually, there's two rooms. There was a living room, and then there was a kitchen bedroom. The bed folded out of the kitchen wall. It was a great little place. You had to squeeze in sideways to the bathroom. And $169 or something like that a month. It was a great deal. And, and I lived maybe a semester or two by myself as a bachelor. That place was never clean. I mean, it was nasty. Jennifer and I were engaged at the time. You know what? When we got married, I changed. Now, I didn't change perfectly over time, but after 30 years, I'm a different kind of guy, different kind of house. Wouldn't you say, Jennifer, after 30 years, I'm a little better than I was then. I mean, there were dishes stinking all the time. It was, I didn't ever change a sheet. All that stuff that a bachelor does. But the love of Jen compelled me. Not too long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, I was, home, I was going home from work, and she had called already and said, Hey, Kyle, will you give me a, will you give me a pickle snow cone? She'd been walking in the morning early, and she's kind of, you know, she just turned 50. I'm sorry, Jen, I had to tell them. She doesn't look 50, does she? Can you imagine that? It's amazing. And, and, and so when we, when we were, uh, she, was get, she wanted me to have, get her a pickle snow cone. I was running late. We were supposed to go somewhere. We had an appointment, and, and, and yet I stopped. And I called those folks and said, we'll be just a little bit later. And I got home, and she said, well, you didn't have to. You didn't have to stop. And I thought to myself, oh, yes, I did. <laughs> Why? The love of Jen compelled me. You know, there's a greater love than her love for me and my love for her. And she knows it and I know it. And it's the love of Christ and what he's done for me and what he's done for you. And what compels me to get up in the morning is an understanding that no matter what I do and what I've done, He still loves me. And I want to share that love and His goodness and His kindness with other folks. That's what motivates me in ministry. That's what motivates me in life. That's what I live for. You know, we only have this one life. And the poet says only one life uh, to live. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You can live it for lots of different things and lots of different folks. And there's some great motivations there, are there not? Our families are great motivations. Our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, those are good reasons to get up in the morning and do what we do. But you know what? They're all going to pass. Other people would give themselves to making a lot of money, and that's good. Figure out how much you need to live on and make as much money as you possibly can and give it away in generosity to the causes of the kingdom of God. I never want to cause people not to make money if they have their hearts set on right things. But what motivates us, what compels us is not our family or our friends or our stuff it's the love of Christ and what does it compel us toward where does it move us 
Will you hear me at this point? It moves us toward living for Jesus. See, what the Apostle Paul says is that we now, we no longer live for ourselves. When we've been compelled by the love of Christ, we don't live for ourselves and we don't live for other folks either necessarily, although that's part of the process. But we live now, we live for Jesus. Remember that old hymn? Sometimes I long to sing those old hymns, don't you? Living for Jesus. A life that is true. Striving to please Him in all that I do. Yielding allegiance. You know it. Glad-hearted. I want to do it. And free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. Oh, Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to Thee. For thou and thine atonement. That's what Paul's writing about. Sacrificial atonement. One died for all. Have gave thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart will be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O oh Christ, for thee alone. Now how's that going for you? Because if you're doing that, I guarantee you, you're experiencing what the Apostle Paul experienced. The best way to live. We, we can't come up with a better way to live on our own than living for the one who gave himself for us. You've done it from time to time. And the more we do it, the more we experience the joy and the fullness of the kingdom of God. Am I right? And the more we do away with the guilt and the shame and the crud of this broken world, because that's the next part of this. This is how it really fleshes out. We see the world and people in the world differently. The Apostle Paul says, I no longer see anybody like they seem to be. I don't see people according to the flesh or according to the world's point of view. I now see them totally different. Once I saw Jesus according to the world point of view. Remember what Paul was doing before he met Jesus face to face and he saw, literally saw the light on the road to Damascus? He was persecuting Jesus and his followers. He was trying to get rid of Jesus because Jesus was a number one enemy to his Jewish religion in his book. And he was doing what he thought God had called him to do, and then Jesus showed him, no, you don't see me the right way. You're looking at me according to the flesh. I'm not your enemy. I'm your greatest friend. Now, I want you to see me not as the enemy to your religion, but the Savior of your soul. And he grabbed a hold of the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul never forgot that. And it was the love that he experienced from Jesus himself that compelled him. Folks, I know you've experienced that. If you know him at some stage, at some point in your life, you see what motivated Paul to begin with is, is what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.10. It was a fear. The judgment seat of Christ, he says. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You still have your Bibles open, 2 Corinthians 5.10. 
And we'll, we'll give an account for everything we've done in the, in the flesh, in the body. The good things we've done or the evil things we've done. And we'll get what is due us or what we deserve. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares me. It scared me like I was scared when I was an eight-year-old boy who had the hell scared out of me. I didn't want to go to hell. I don't want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and get everything I deserve. Anybody here volunteering for that right now? That's what it says. That's what he means. So how do we deal with that? Because I want to get what I have coming to me, the good things I've done in the flesh, but not the evil things I've done in the flesh. So how in the world, here's the big question, how in the world can a God of justice justify the unjust? You and me. How in the world are we ever going to pass that judgment? Do you know? Stay with me, because we're going to get there in verse 21. And you need to know, because you need to be ready for the judgment seat of Christ. The Scripture says it's appointed for a man to die once and then to face the judgment. Every one of us in this place is going to stand before God one day. You need to be ready before that day comes. You can't get ready after that day comes. You hear me at that point? At this point? So listen carefully. We've got to see the world and people differently. How do we see the world? It's broken. That's no surprise. It's broken by our sin. It's lost. So when you get discouraged and depressed about the condition of the world, you're seeing it accurately. But can I share a little good news with you today? Jesus came to fix this broken world. And he's in the process right now of doing his work to fix it. Jesus came to find this lost world. And in Luke 19, he says, I've come to, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And his mission is our mission. Jesus says in John 20, 21 to his disciples, those who would follow after him, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So living for Jesus means seeing the world like he sees it and seeing people like he sees it. I don't know how you, how you see people, how you meet people, how you interact with people, how you relate to people. But in my worst moments, Okay, confession. Good for the soul, bad for the reputation. I see people as useful, helpful, or obnoxious. People I don't want to... People when I see coming, I, I try to duck out. You know, now don't look at those people right now. I'm trying not to make any eye contact with anybody, you know. And then I think about how Jesus looks at me. If he looked at me that way, I'd not be useful to him. I'd not be helpful to him. Even on my best moments. But he didn't look at me that way. Because here's how Jesus sees people. He sees us as, as lost. 
were found. He, he sees this as heaven-bound or hell-bent. He sees this as, as rescued or, or perishing. He sees this as old creatures, sinful, dying, or new creation. Verse 17 says, Siri talking to me right here during the middle of the sermon. Can you believe that? Andrew. So how do you see people? Like Jesus does? Or like the world? Because if you see people like Jesus does, then you'll want to share in his ministry and his message, the ministry and message of, of reconciliation. Now, that's a, that's a word that's used five times in verses 18 through 20. Five times, pretty important word. Tells us that God has been reconciling the world, not counting our sins against us. That's good news from back in verse 10, not counting the evil against us that we have done. That's good news. He's been reconciling the world. All. He died once for all. It's everybody. Everybody is included. I don't care who you are, what you've done. You're not out of the grasp of God or the opportunity to experience His salvation. No one. No one is exempt. You today, if you are in that fix where you're not reconciled with God. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Here's another word for reconciled. You're, you don't have peace with God or you're not square with God. Remember way back when, maybe 80s, 90s, when you used to write checks? I, I hadn't written a check in a long time. Some of you have written checks this week. I understand that. But you'd get a deal in the, in the mail. Young people, listen to this because this is a new concept to you. This is a little history lesson. You'd get a bank statement in the mail. Raise your hand if you remember those bank statements. Would you raise your hand real big? You got bank statements. You didn't get them online. You got them in the mail. And you, on the back of that, you could reconcile your bank statement. Remember that? All of that. And that's how we learned to to manage our money and our checking accounts and all that, you raised your hand, you're, you're as old as I am or older. You think about all of that for just a moment. And, and what you did is you made sure all your deposits covered all your checks. You weren't bouncing any checks. You were square with the bank. Right? How do you get square with God? How do you get square with a holy God? How does a God of justice justify the unjust? We better figure that out. That's reconciliation. And that's the message we Christians have for the world. So let's just jump right to it. Because as we think about the the message and the ministry we have. I've told you many times what Gypsy Smith, the evangelist, said. There, there are really five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you, and people aren't reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're looking and reading you. And so how you live for Jesus matters. 
how you share in this ministry and message of reconciliation, how you experience the new life in Christ. You know, every time we baptize somebody, we, we say these, something like this, buried to Him to the old way of life, raised to walk in newness of life. Is that you? Are you new? Because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, let's look at and let's see a little more newness around this place, around our world, through us the power of God working in us and through us. And then we've got this message to share. And it's verse 21. Let's be real clear on this message. For our sake. See, Paul's motivation was the fear of God and the love of Christ. Jesus' motivation to do what he did on the cross you me he did this for us for our sake he made him he God the father made him God the son to be sin who knew no sin the only one who's ever walked this earth that was sinless, was treated like a sinner, was outcast from the presence of God on that cross when He became sin for us. Do you realize how impossible it was for a just God to justify us? He had to take His sinless Son and make Him sin. To be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, how that happens, that a God of justice doesn't just wink at sin. It's serious business. He justifies the unjust, you and me, with this great exchange. Jesus got our sin. And we got His righteousness. You ever experienced that in all reality? You will never be the same and you will be compelled by the love of Christ to change, to be a new creation, to do what He's called us to do. Who needs that message? Because there's lots of us in here who have experienced that reconciliation. We have been reconciled with God. We're square with God because of Jesus. He no longer looks at our sin. He looks at us through the blood of Jesus. He sees Jesus when He sees us. Praise God for that. But don't take that for granted. Don't abuse the grace of God by living in any old way you want to live, live for Jesus. And that means you have a heart to share that with other folks who need it. Who? Who's the one? Who's the one that needs to hear the message of reconciliation, the message that we've got this great exchange? Because let's just, let's just look at it like this. And it's, a, it's similar to what I've shared with you before. And we're going to end with this, this illustration again. Let's just say you stand before the judgment seat of Christ 
and you are having to give a report for your life, the good and evil that you've done, and you've got a report card. Okay? And on the report card, there are five subjects. Just five. And it's all pass and fail, and you have to do these perfectly to pass. And if you do them perfectly, you get in. Just five. We're just making it five. There's more, but just five. Okay? Let's just start with being a child. You did that perfectly. You always did what your parents wanted you to do the first time. Always obedient to their desires. Pass or fail. Take out a sheet of paper, would you? Number it one to five. F. For me. Okay, let's go friend. As a young child, you were always loyal. You were always unselfish. You always let your, your friend choose what you did. And, and you were always, um, always had their back. Always. Pass or fail. And you're going to think less of your pastor once again. I failed. Spouse. Family. Always faithful. Never did anything, never said anything unconsiderate, wrong, especially from the pulpit. You've never talked about your, your wife in a, uh, a manner that wasn't honoring. You know, I failed. Have you? Parenting. Let's go there. You want to go there? They always did what you were supposed to do as a parent. They always led by example. They could always look to you for the good, solid, godly, sound advice. I don't even want to go there. Do you fail? How about employee, employer? You've always had your employees interested, heart, those that worked under you, never had any selfish desires there. And you, all, you never, you never uh, got paid any money that you didn't deserve because you always worked a, uh, a day's wage for, for the dollar that you earned. You stand before the judgment seat of Christ with that report card. Anybody in here getting in? You passed in all five categories? Anybody? Anybody? And then here comes the, the valedictorian of the class. Jesus Christ. And He, as we stand before Him in, in judgment, says, remember, we've made this exchange. I take your failures. I take your sin. You get my righteousness. Come on in. Come on in. Come celebrate. Come live forever. Come experience the adventure. Come experience the beauty. Come experience the intimacy of heaven. And you can experience that in beginning right now, right here in glimpses, and you can be a part of that whole ministry of reconciliation, that whole message of reconciliation, and you can experience being reconciled with God if you're not. Make sure you are. By saying, God, I know I'm not what I need to be. I know I've failed. I admit to you, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe I can exchange my sin for His righteousness, and I choose. 
I commit this day my life to Jesus. You can do that. And if you've done that, if you've done that like a lot of us have, who's that one? School starts tomorrow, or two days start tomorrow, not school. But as two days start tomorrow and school starts soon after that, let's think about that, teachers, about who can I impact? Let's think about that, coaches, about more than just the X's and the O's, but who can I influence? Let's think about it as you go to the workplace, as you go wherever you go. Have you been right with God, made right with God, reconciled with God, you square with God? And if you are, who can you help? Because that's how the world gets changed. And this world needs changing. But you do it 8 to 15 people at a time, just the people God puts in your life. Your people. Your oikos. You think about it. Who's that one? How can you do it? Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for always being faithful and always being obedient and, and always being compassionate and, and always being uh, gracious and loving and just. And Lord, thank you most of all for taking our place on the cross. Oh, Jesus, we don't want what we deserve. We want what you offer. Salvation by grace through faith. Lord, we don't just want to live for ourselves and to make a buck or to, to survive. We, we want to thrive. We want to flourish. We want things to be eternal in our lives. So help us, Lord. Help us see from Your perspective. Empower us to share our story how you've touched us and changed us, made us more than we are in ourselves, given us the best way to live, and never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen.